Welcome to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truths and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. Well, once again, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, a brand new episode. Thank you for joining me today. Today marks a very, very exciting time where we are going to be diving in to the book of Colossians. I mentioned at the end of season two that we were going to start a book study, and today we're going to start with the book of Colossians. So, I pray that this is a great time for you for edification, for further sanctification, and for just the glory of God. And that's the reason why we do anything on this show. Everything we do is for the glory of God, to Him and to Him alone. So with that being said, today we're going to be talking about the introductions to the book of Colossians. Some things you may know, some things you may not know. So let's go ahead and, and dive in here. So Colossians is named for the city of Colossae, where the church it was addressed to was located. It was also to be read in the neighboring church of Laodicea. That's also found in the the fourth chapter, verse 16 of Colossians. So let's talk about the author and the date. Paul is the identified author at the beginning of the book in Colossians 1.1, also in verse 23 and chapter 4, verse 18. And we also know that the main author, the true author of any book in the Bible is the Holy Spirit. But he used Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, to physically write down the words. So the testimony of the early church included key features and figures such as Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Oregon, and Eusebius. Now, Oregon, I know what it sounds like. It could be origin or Oregon, but it's O-R-I-G-E-N. Okay, They confirm that the opening claim is genuine. Additional evidence of Paul's authorship comes from the book's close parallels with Philemon, which you might recognize as one of the shortest books in the Bible, which is universally accepted as being written by Paul. Both were written about 60 to 62 AD, while Paul was a prisoner in Rome. Now, so as we kind of get moving here, a little farther along, let's get some background as to why this book was written or this letter was written. Colossae was a city in Phrygia, in the Roman province of Asia, part of modern Turkey, about 100 miles east of Ephesus in the region of the seven churches of Revelation chapters 1 through 3. The city lay alongside the Lycus River, not far from where it flowed into the Meander River. The Lycus Valley narrowed at Colossae to a width of about two miles, and Mount Cadmus rose 8,000 feet above the city. Colossae was a thriving city in the 5th century BC when the Persian king Xerxes marched through the region. Black wool and dyes made 
from nearby chalk de deposits were important products. In addition, the city was situated at the junction of the main north, south, and east-west trade routes. By Paul's day, however, the main road had been rerouted through nearby Laodicea, thus bypassing Colossae and leading to its decline and the rise of the neighboring cities of Laodicea, Hierapolis. Although Colossae's population was merely mainly Gentile, there was a large Jewish settlement dating from the days of Antiochus the Great. Colossae's mixed population of Jews and Gentiles manifested itself both in the composition of the church and the heresy that plagued it, which contained elements of both Jewish legalism and pagan mysticism. The church at Colossae began during Paul's three-year ministry at Ephesus. You can find that in Acts chapter 19. Its founder was not Paul, who had never been there. Chapter 2 and 1, you can find that out. But Epaphras, you can find him in Colossians 1, 5 through 7, who apparently was saved during the visit to Ephesus, then likely started the church in Colossae where he returned home. Several years after the Colossian church was founded, a dangerous heresy arose to threaten it. One not identified with any particular historical system. It contained elements of what later became known as Gnosticism, which is basically that God is good, but matter is evil, that Jesus Christ was merely one of a series of emanations descending from God and being less than God, which was a belief that led them to deny his true humanity, and that a secret higher knowledge above scripture was necessary for enlightenment and salvation. I remember reading and watching this, I don't know, it was like a TV documented series, and it was talking about the books of the Bible that, that did not actually get into the Bible. Um, and so some of those that came out, a gospel uh, according to Thomas and all that, you know, here's the deal about those things. In a lot of those quote unquote gospels or books of Thomas, they mentioned about, they didn't come out and say it, but basically it, it proved that this same thing we're talking about, this Gnosticism, that that was it. They're in one of those, I'm not sure which fake book it was in, but basically it's saying that Jesus Christ came to Judas, pulled him off to the side at the Last Supper, took him outside and said, I need you to betray me. And, and he was like laughing hysterically and, like he was like really bothered by something and and then it went back in and there was a betrayal. And so, he, you know, Judas was in on it the whole time. Those are the type of things that raise doubts and also would be considered doctrines of demons. So you have to be really careful what you hear because the secular world, the world that doesn't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, they are in cahoots, if you will. They are in unison with their father, the devil, and the doctrines of demons. And so when you hear these things come out, you got to be really careful what you listen to on TV because a lot of it is not scripturally based. It's not in, in deep theology. It's all surface level stuff that is trying to bring down the holy name of God. And many have tried, and every single person 
organization, whatever it is, they have all failed. So again, you have to be extremely careful. But one of the things about Gnosticism is that, again, they have a secret higher knowledge above scripture that was necessary for enlightenment and salvation. And by the way, in the charismatic movements today, that's what you see, that you, there is a secret knowledge, that there is ongoing revelation from God, and there is absolutely not. God's word is infallible. God's word is true. The, the veracity of scripture has been challenged many a times, and every single time has fallen because those that challenge the Bible are challenging absolute truth. And you can't challenge absolute truth. And there's they, people try to, to incorporate secret destructive heresies, and they try to, again, they try to say that, well, Jesus would talk to Judas, and he let him in on the secret, and he said that because he did that, he's going to be blessed, and all these other things like that. And, and even stuff today, when Texas just recently, they had a law that they enacted and passed that said that you cannot have an abortion after six weeks. And here's the thing. People just went up in arms over that. They were up in arms. They were furious and gnashing their teeth and and here's the thing scripture was also being attacked because a group i can't remember which organization it was said that god is pro-life and that led them to attack and say that oh well it, okay god has killed millions and millions of people in the flood and yet satan has only killed about 10 people according to the bible so who's really who's really the bad one here you hear all these kind of things, and to certain people who are really, really young in the faith that don't have a clue, that could cause them to be bewitched, which we find in Galatians, the third chapter. But as we are still going along in this, the background of Colossians, just understand, brothers and sisters, that that heresy, that doctrines that are opposed to Scripture— true scripture, there's, there's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. People are always trying to twist the word of God because the word of God is convicting. The word of God judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And if we can diminish God, if we can put him in a little box, if we can make him our buddy, or we can try to find a hole in his plan and his perfect goodness then you know what? Then we can justify ourselves. And that's all this is. And that's that's all that boil, ever boils down to. But the Colossian heresy also embraced aspects of Jewish legalism. Okay? So, for example, like the necessity of circumcision for salvation, observance of the ceremonial rituals of the Old Testament law, like dietary laws, festivals, and Sabbaths, and, and other things as well. It also called for the worship of angels and mystical experiences. And that sounds similar to today. Like I said, nothing's new is under the sun here. Epaphras was so concerned about this heresy that he made the long journey from Colossae to Rome. You can find that in Colossians 4, 12 and 13, where Paul was a prisoner. This letter was written from prison in Rome. And you can find that in Acts 28, 16 through 31. Sometime between... Again, 
60 to 62 AD and is therefore referred to as a prison epistle, along with Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. It may have been composed almost contemporaneously with Ephesians and is initially sent with that epistle in Philemon by Tychicus. And you have to, you have to forgive me if you look these up and the, the pronunciations are not the greatest. <laughs> uh, I'm doing my best. And you know what? Um, I should have probably looked them up before we did this. I do actually, I would say this. I, I do a pretty decent job with pronunciation. Sometimes uh, not so much, but be that as it may. So let's go ahead. Um, let's go ahead and move on here and on my notes. And I can't wait to get to, I can't wait to get into scripture. And here's the thing. Uh, as we're going through this, we're, you know, we're not going to rush through Colossians. We're not going to do a chapter every episode. That would take uh, way too long. But there are certain points I do want to hit on. because, And I'm not going to go like, you know, one verse and for every episode, which in all honesty, that's what we should do. Go verse by verse, verse, break it down. And you'd be surprised with one verse. You can talk for hours and hours upon it. Um, but anyway, so let's go ahead and let's look at some historical and theological themes here for Colossians. Colossians contains teachings on several key areas of theology, including the deity of Christ, which you can find in the first chapter of Colossians, verses 15 through 20. The second chapter, verses 2 through 10. We also deal with reconciliation, which is uh, chapters 1 verses 20 through 23 redemption chapter one verses 13 through 14 also the second chapter in verse 13 and 14 and the third chapter 9 through 11 also an aspect of theology is election you can find that in chapter 3 verse 12 and forgiveness 3 13 and the nature of the church which you can find a bunch in here which is found in the first chapter, verses 18, 24, and 25. Also the second chapter in verse 19. And then lastly, chapter 3, verse 11 and 15. So also, as noted above, it refutes the heretical teaching that threatened the Colossian church. We just talked about that just a few minutes ago. Uh, here are some interpretive challenges. And I've experienced this firsthand, so just go ahead and take a listen. Um, those cults that deny Christ's deity have seized upon the description of him as the firstborn overall creation found in chapter one, verse 15, as proof that he was created by, by God. He was an actual created being. Paul's statement that believers will be holy and blameless and above reproach if they continue in their faith, that's found in Colossians 1, 22 and 23, has led some teach teachers to teach that believers can lose their salvation. Some have argued for the existence of purgatory based on Paul's statement, I fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, which is found in chapter 124, which is ridiculous. While others do end up seeing some support for uh, baptismal regeneration found in the second chapter in verse 12. The, the the identity of the epistle from Laodicea has also prompted much discussion. That's found in 4.16. So again, you have, you have 
kind of like a reoccurring theme when it comes to churches. The churches are founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that's what it should be. And the person of Jesus Christ as, as a supreme leader, he has preeminence over everything. And what happens more often than not, and sadly enough, is that when you have people come in that introduce destructive heresies, that's when things get a little bit dangerous. And more often than not, it these heresies, these doctrines of demons are based off of scripture, but not really because what they do is they twist scripture and they are there to deceive people. And that's, that's what this is all about. Brothers and sisters, Ephesians, the sixth chapter says very, very clearly that we, we do not struggle against the flesh and blood. Matter of fact, as, as I'm getting there now, I'm looking it up. So Ephesians six, Start in the 12th verse. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That is where the true battle lies. And more often than not, what happens is, is people that are not deep into Scripture, people that don't read the Bible at all, but they go to church, they can be carried away they can be tossed to and fro and what happens again and sadly enough is that you because you don't know what scripture says you can be easily carried away like i said before tossed to and fro and what happens is, is you can become bewitched so you listen to these doctrines of demons and if you are not solid in the word of god then you think to yourself, well, hey, that doesn't that doesn't sound anti-Bible. That sounds Bible. Sounds good to me. And then you start believing it. And the next thing you know, you're on that road. And what road are we talking about? We're talking about the, the wide, broad, smooth road that leads to destruction, to hell, while thinking that you were on the narrow road to heaven. And that's what we're here right now. That's what we're here for. We're here to explain what scripture means. We're here to tell you what God actually says, not what Nate has to say. I don't I don't read scripture to hear what theologians, pastors, teachers have to say about it and their interpretations of it, because it's not about that. It's about explaining what the scripture means. And you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again, that the meaning of the scripture is the scripture. The scripture interprets itself. So a lot of times what we need to do as pastors and teachers of the word, we just have to get out of the way. This, this isn't about what, what do you think this scripture means? That's not what this is about. I'll, all I want to know is what God says, and I want to do what he says. That's all it is. When you hear people say, well, this is what it means to me, that the, a red flag in your brain better be going off. And the flashing lights and, and police sirens are going off everywhere. Because then you're listening to what man is saying. And you know what happens when man gets involved with what they think God says? Bad things usually happen. And that's what happens. We get into a self-righteous state. We think that by our deeds, 
uh, by our own goodness, and we'll be able to get to heaven. That, well, this is what this is this is what I think it means, or this is what this is what this verse really means. And that's when it, that's when things become extremely dangerous. And the problem with that is if you gave this book, the Bible, to a farmer in a very, very distant land where they didn't have the internet, they didn't have phones, they didn't have anything else other than the word of God. They could, God is so, and this is the amazing part about God, he is so profound yet can simplify things for us so that we can understand it. But you could give this book to a farmer in a desolate land by himself, and he can he can read it, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, him putting his trust and faith in Jesus Christ, he can interpret Scripture because he has the Holy Spirit to interpret the Scripture for him. I know that doesn't make sense maybe to a lot of people, but again, he's not going to read this part in Scripture and say, oh, well, um, in verse 15 in chapter 1, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn among uh, creation. He's not going to read that and think, okay, well, he's a he's a created being. No, because that's what people that are not Christ's true followers, Christ is not in them, the Holy Spirit's not in them, that's what you would take away from that. And that's not what that means. And it's also important to surround yourself with people who are diligently following, following Christ, that are diligently following what God says. Because if there's something that maybe gives you a little bit of hiccup in scripture and you think, oh, I don't really know what that means. Don't think of that as something that is a bad thing. Just understand that you can go to people that you trust with the Bible that maybe know a little bit more than you do. They can help you believe that a lot more clearly. And, oh, wow. I never, I read that. I had, I missed that by a mile because again, scripture is not, is not something that is, supposed to be overly complicated it's really not but we overcomplicate things and we take we take more advice from people who don't even read scripture at all but they can throw out a few bible verses here and there because they heard it in sunday school years ago and then they can introduce some sort of illustration that has nothing to do with scripture at all and they just take their emotions and they run with it and that's not what we're about here we're about illuminating other people with the word of God. That's, that's really all we're doing. And you know what? Even, even to that is a stretch because only God and only the Holy spirit, only through Jesus Christ, can we be a really illumined to the truth. So with that being said, this, this book is full of just wonderful truth. And so as we, start of start to conclude the background of it we're going to go into the first chapter in colossians we're going to start in the first verse and we're going to go to verse 12 so if you have your bibles with you i want you to go ahead and turn with me to colossians 1 and we're going to read verses 1 through 12 and then we'll be just kind of like what we normally do we'll go one through 12, we'll come back, we'll break it down, and then God willing, next week we'll pull, we'll start in the 13th verse and we'll go on from there. So 
Colossians 1, 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it has constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with this, the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness in patience, joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So let's go ahead. Let's jump down to verse 3, and we're going to go ahead and start there. We, it says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. We are to be a grateful people, people that are saved through the power and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ are a grateful people. The closer you get with Christ, the more grateful and the more humble you become. The more you understand what Jesus did, what he continues to do, what he gave up, what he gives you makes us a very, very grateful person, a grateful servant of the Lord. And the end of verse three, it says, praying always for you. This is something that we need to do more and more and more, is to pray for people that are around us. I'm talking about praying. Now, he's talking about praying for the saints here. That And that's something we have to do. We have to be praying for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because they're going through battles, they're going through trials and tribulations and health concerns and all those things. And here's the reality. We need to pray always for them. It doesn't say pray when you feel like it. Praying always for you. Prayer is a command. In verse 4, it says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. So when... Let me ask you this. When people see or hear us, are they seeing our faith and love? Can verse 4 be said about you? When people look at you or talk about you, do they say that your faith is in Christ Jesus and that you have a great love for all the saints? I can tell you at times that was a no for me. I took, I had the knowledge of Jesus Christ and I had... I had good knowledge of scripture, but uh, a little bit of love was lacking, love for fellow saints and and just the love for God's people. I mean, I, I had I, it was it was okay, 
but it wasn't it wasn't what God wanted to me, me to be like. And the more I'm in Christ, the more I have faith in him and the more I love the people of God. Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth. Our hope is in heaven, not on earth. And our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. And it says kind of in the middle here, in the latter part of verse 5, of which you previously heard in the word of truth. The word of truth is God's word. And we've heard it now and we know it. Now, if you look at the very, very end of verse 5, it's very, very clear. The gospel. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 6 says, Which has come to you, just as in all the world, also has constantly bearing fruit and increasing. God is the seeker. The truth, eternal life, amazingly, by his grace has come to us. God is the seeker. He seeks those who are his. And he calls you and he draws you in. And sometimes you hear people say, well, I was seeking God and I found him. Well, I will just tell you this, that it is very clear that God is the one who is the seeker. Matter of fact, I will show you in John 6, 44, you've actually heard me talk about this several times. But in John 6, 44, it says, No one can come to me, this is Jesus talking, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him, and that's what I'm trying to tell you right now. If you're listening to this, and maybe you're not a Christian, this is God drawing you right now. In Romans, the third chapter, in verse 11, it's this is abundantly clear. It says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Well, if that is true, and it is true, then here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to tell you here. God is the one who seeks. And then when he finds us, in which we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, then we start seeking after him. We start seeking his heart. We start seeking out to be, how do I, how do I love him more? How do I obey him? What do I need to do to follow him? And it, scripture clear, clearly lays out, I mean, how we need to do those things. But again, Faithful followers of Christ, we have the gospel in which we heard it from the word of truth. And the last part of verse 6 says, Just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and, incre and increasing. Well, how does the gospel bear fruit and increase? By changing the hearts of men, by raising spiritually dead men and women to life, through the gospel, through faith in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith. And also, when those people are converted to Christ and are now faithful followers to him and regenerate and reborn, then they take the gospel and they spread it. That's what it means. And 
that was, and excuse me here, that was the middle part of verse six. Now the end of verse six says, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard it of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So again, we are forever changed. That's why we're reborn. Our spiritual eyes are open. Our hearts that were heart of stone are now changed with the heart of flesh and God's spirit is put in us. And also we have been given a new spirit. That means that we have, we don't desire the desires of darkness anymore. We don't desire the works of the flesh. We don't desire those things any longer. Do we still sin? Absolutely we do. But we don't seek after uh, people anymore, like lust. We don't lust after people anymore. We don't have a desire to get drunk and you know, take drugs and do all those type of things like that. Or it's not even just that. Lying, stealing. I, we, we have a new desire to obey, to love God, to, to, to love and seek after him through his word, to be in prayer, to gather with the saints. And that's what we do. We're reborn. And then, because that's what it says here, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth. God's word is truth. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Is this you? Is this me? When they when people say your name, put your name in here. Our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. That's all, that's all I want to hear, is that I'm a faithful fellow bond servant of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, uh, it's a good test. And he also informed us of your love in the spirit. Verse eight, the true source of love is from the Holy spirit. Let me just say this people. I've, I've heard it before have said, well, this person has a heart of gold. This person is, and he, he or she just loves like no one else. It's, it's so amazing. Understand that worldly love only goes so far. Now, there are people, because we are all made in the image of God, there are some people who do love more than other people. I have seen Christians love less than people of the world. I've seen non-Christians who are more generous than Christians. I've seen it all. You've seen it probably as well. But the problem is, is that as much of those people do love other people, and that's a great thing, but they are still flawed, and without Christ, they are headed for destruction. And when they love people, they're not loving people for the sake of Jesus Christ to bring glory and honor to his name. Sometimes people love other people just to make their name better. Other times they love other people so that they can, when they ask for favors and they can get favors back from them and vice versa. And you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type of thing. But like I said before, worldly love only goes so far. Worldly grace only goes so far. I, I told you that story last year about uh, about 
the job I was in. You know, the buzz phrase was, was we got to show each other grace. And I said, we'll see how long that lasts. And it didn't last a month. So like I said before, all those things are great and everything. But when we think that, you know, we love good and we're a good person and, you know, we're doing the right things, that's that's when things get dangerous because we turn into that rich young ruler like in Luke 18. But the true source of genuine agape, God-honoring, godly type of love is found in the Holy Spirit. And the true believers in Colossae were being fruitful for the kingdom. Uh, you know, they showed faith and love to the to believers. They they hoped in Christ, and you know, their hope was fully in Christ, and they proclaimed the gospel. As a result, the gospel was constantly bearing fruit and increasing. So there there were some good things going on there. But as we talked about before, heresies were starting to invade. We're not there yet, but just know that that's coming. And if you notice any churches that you're in, things go really well. And then at some point, and usually it happens to us in the flesh because people come in and they they start to introduce destructive heresies, doctrines of demons that appear right but not. And that's why it's so important to have godly leaders in your in your church, deacons and elders who are so immersed in scripture that the minute heresy enters in the church, they are there to stop it and stop it right in its tracks. But a lot of times we just, we want we, a lot of times being a deacon and elder turns into a popularity contest and who's been here and who seems like a decent guy, but it's, it's all about the fruit and the qualifications are, clearly found in Timothy and and Titus. So it's 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 not like we don't like we don't know. And if we stray away from God's word and we let people in positions of authority in in the in the church, which again the true authority is in Christ, but as far as deacons and elders go, if we let people in who are not even born again believers in Christ, what do you think is going to happen? And that happens everywhere. And then churches are split because the people that are of the truth, that know what God says and how church is supposed to go, guess what happens? They stand up for that, and then here comes these, these false believers who are in positions of being a deacon or elder, and then they form their own little group. And then when they're asked to leave, as we know that, you know, in, for as far as church discipline goes— you know, you're supposed to go to that person one on one, then bring a bring another a believer with. And if that they don't listen, then then you get the church involved. And if they don't repent, then then you send them packing. But again, they have their group, they have their following, and what happens? They they're asked to leave. Okay, well we're going to take about 20 or 30 members with, and uh, we'll see you later. And then they take that destruction, that path of destruction with them. And they go poison another church. Those are deceivers. Those are doctrines of demons. Their father is of the devil. That's there's no way else to slice it. That is that is the actual facts. Verse nine. 
For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, not our will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We could talk about verse 9 for hours if we wanted to. But for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Again, we must pray to God for others just like this. And ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Well, how do we know the will of God? Well, we did a episode on the will of God. And how do we find out the will of God? By opening up the scripture. God's will is not a mystery. It's not hidden. And what we talk about in, in the opening, in the, in the background, the introductions to Colossians. About Gnosticism, there's some secret knowledge. Only people that have this divine illumination from God, this special revelation that, that are holier than other people, they know what the will of God is and they'll share it with us. And that, <laughs> and that, my friends, is, is also not right either. But this also happens, again, by opening up the Word of God. And I know we're going to get there eventually, but I've been saying a ton. Colossians 3.16, I'm kind of cheating here a little bit, but this is so true. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's how, if you're in Scripture, you're going to know what God's will is. It's that simple. But just to give you a quick little breakdown of that episode about God's will, God's will is for us to be uh, saved, spirit-filled, submissive, sanctified, suffering, and thankful. And that's what His will is for us, to be filled with the knowledge of His will. And that is, I mean, and we only had a few scriptures for being spirit-filled, submissive, saved, sanctified, uh, suffering, and thankful. We we only had a few scriptures for each of those, but throughout all throughout the Bible, it just you can go, you can say you're being spirit-filled, which means being spirit-controlled, and you can go, I mean, so long and so deep in that, in every single one of those. But it's it's clear as crystal. You just have to open it up and find it. And it says, again, I'm going back here again, and to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This comes by discipleship and immersing ourselves in Christ. Verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In a manner manner worthy of the Lord. That is the work of the word in the heart, sanctifying us and conforming us to the image of his son. Here's the thing, like walk in a manner that's daily, that's continual, that's progressive. To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. My friends, 9 and 10, whoa, now we're getting really deep in spiritual truth here. So let's read 10 one more time, all of 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him in all respects. Isn't that that should be our desire? That should be our heart's desire to please him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work. Well, I'll tell you what, bearing fruit. Hmm. Let's talk about that for a second here. Bearing fruit. Well, what does that mean? Bearing fruit means just like what you would think about in earthly sense. 
tree grows, maybe buy an apple tree. And if that tree doesn't bear fruit, and then it, it doesn't serve any purpose. If the intention of it was to bear fruit. So the, the fruit that we're talking about here is found in Galatians. And more specifically, Galatians, the fifth chapter, starting the 22nd verse. And most of you know where I'm going with this because we did a study on it. But it's Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So like I said before, bearing fruit is extremely critical and is also one of the few signs that you know for sure that you are saved by Christ. Why? Because it Matthew 7, 17. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad trees bear bad fruit. Okay. Also, this is how we know that we are followers. Because John 15, 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so it may bear more fruit. And we know later on in John 15 that, again, in Christ we can only bear fruit. And apart from Christ, you can do nothing. But again, I'm going to go back because we're going to do a, we're going to, after we do our, book study we're going to do an episode on bearing fruit because that's one of the ways again like i said before that's one of the ways that you know that you are a true follower of jesus christ if you bear fruit because he says it very clear john 15 are you seeing a pattern here in john 15 it says my father again john 15 8 my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples And then John 15, 16, just eight verses down. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Christ said that. And it pointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask in my father's name, he may give it to you. Excuse me, that's actually ask of the ask the father in my name. He may give it to you. But I think you see the point. And here it's very, very plain and very simple. We need to have the heart to please him in all respects. Going back to verse 10 here in Colossians, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, how do we do that? Well, we dig in the word. We gather with the saints. And by the way, if there are believers that are older than you, older in the faith than you, you might want to hitch your wagon to theirs. Because as much as it is beneficial for you to read scripture by yourself and study it, it is a lot more beneficial if you're around a group of people who are, again, saved, spirit-filled, submissive, sanctified, suffering, and thankful that are deep in the word, 
that they are constantly in prayer, that are trying their best to be obedient. And again, going back to it, the word of Christ is richly dwelling within them. But again, going back to 11 here, strengthen with all power according to his glorious might. It's not our strength. It's his. We don't have the power to live the Christian life. We cannot do it. There is no way possible. But through God, that is possible. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyous, joyously. Listen, God gives us steadfastness and patience. And not only does he, does he give us that, he preserves it and he refines it. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I mean, brothers and sisters, wow. I mean, just... Are, are you seeing the deeper we're going in Colossians already in the first 12 verses, how deep this is getting and how I, I could literally spend hours talking about this. I know I, I would lose people after the first hour, but my point is, is that guys, look at all the deep spiritual truth that is going on here. Again, we're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. We need that today. And we, and we have that, and it makes us joyous, joyously. And it says, joyously giving thanks to the Father. That's one of God's, what's one of God's wills for our life is giving thanks, right? Being thankful. Who has qualified us? My friends, there are many destructive heresies out there thinking that we can be good on our own, that we're a good person. That if, if in a 24-hour period, if we're not committing a violent crime or doing something overly wrong, that we're okay. That we think that, and we think that we can be qualified for heaven on our own. And that's exactly wrong. It says, to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The only way that we are qualified to stand before God justified is through the redemptive work of Christ Jesus' death on the cross and through his resurrection by putting our trust and faith in him and him alone, repenting of our sin, dying to ourselves. And from that, that point on, unapologetically, unswervingly, steadfastly pursuing the heart of God through obedience and faith. I mean, it's just a, it's such an honor and a privilege. I mean, wow, that is such an honor and privilege. And kind of wrapping up here, Paul in verse 9 was praying constantly for the believers, not for earthly things. Think about this, brothers and sisters, real quick. I want you to think about this. Think of your prayer life in the beginning of your relationship with God, how it went from, you know, give us this day, give us our day, our daily bread. You know, give us, give me these things. I want this. I want this. And you're, and the deeper you go with Christ, the more you're starting to, Lord, glor, help me to glorify you in all that I say and do. Help me to be obedient to your commands. Help me to have a longing for your word and for your spirit. Help me to do that which is right and not, not the things I want. Let your will be done, not mine. That's a lot different than saying, Lord, I really want to marry this girl. Can you please make it happen? 
or give me the right person or give me the right job or give me this, give me the, give me the, instead of now it turns into his desires. But Paul wasn't praying for that, those earthly, worldly, materialistic things. He, he was praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is, that is what God's heart is after. This doesn't come naturally by the by our own strength, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit that in so we can do that because we have been given the mind of Christ. So that doesn't come naturally. That comes supernaturally through the Holy Spirit because he's given us the mind of Christ, which you can find in 1 Corinthians 2.16. God's true will for our lives is found in Scripture. We must study his word and actually open it up and read it. And verse 10 is, is so key. By knowing his will with spiritual wisdom and truth and understanding, we will discover how to please God, bear fruit, and increase in our intimate knowledge of him, strengthened by God's might. God gives us a steadfastness, patience, and we joyously give thanks to him for these spiritual blessings and his greatness. God's grace qualifies us by Christ's redemptive work on the cross and resurrection to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. I mean, yes, amen, hallelujah. And as we have just kickstarted this, I mean, buckle up, my friends, because this is going to be a really, really wonderful, awesome ride. So I do pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And until next time, God bless you, my friends.